This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Bravo. Praise God. All right, so here's the title of our study tonight. And we are continuing with the epistle to the Hebrews. And tonight we are going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 to 12. And we are subtitling tonight's study, A Call to Patient Endurance. It's one of the things that he addresses, one of the things that he ends off in this portion. Of course, there's always a lot more, but that's just kind of the heart of what we draw, uh, what we want to draw from it tonight. Now, just to remind us and get us back on part to where we are, because remember, this is a marathon. Although each study is a Bible study on its own and you can enjoy it on its own, of course, ultimately it builds on the whole picture. And this is already part 24, as we've seen. And so we've been at it for 24 weeks, not continuously, but 24 in total. And I don't think, no, we're not even halfway through. So as you can see, we're taking our time. We want to just carefully study everything. Some sessions, like the one tonight, you know, are pretty simple. We can go straightforward through it. Some of them we need to get in and look at every specific thing to make sure we get the most out of it and understand correctly. Of course, the most important thing is, is that we always keep the context in mind. I think that's one of the mistakes often that are made when we teach or when anyone teaches the Word of God is, is that they don't always teach it, the text, in context. And so when you take it out of context, you know, you can make it say anything. You can confuse what it's actually saying. You can come up with a doctrine that's not there. And then, of course, the other important thing is to let the Bible interpret the Bible. And by that, I don't mean get a portion and go find supporting scriptures that back up your point of view, but rather let the text interpret what you're saying so you get the full interpretation of it. I know some time ago I was speaking to someone and that's a misunderstanding that they had. When they heard me say, let the Bible interpret the Bible, what they thought I meant was just find two or three scriptures that back up the point you're saying and that's interpreting. No, <laughs> interpreting the Bible means that the text that you have to support it needs to say the same thing that that text is saying or back up what it's saying, but also explain and expand on what it's saying. It's more than just finding things to confirm a phrase that you are trying to make or state. And so, of course, uh, we also need to look at everything through the finished, the lens of the finished work of the cross, if I can put it that way. All right. So we, what we've seen is, is that just in our previous verses that we've been studying uh, from chap uh, verse 4, chapter 6, verse 4 to 8, in essence, basically what the writer of Hebrews had just done is gave a strong warning about the consequence of rejecting salvation in Jesus. And it's one of the most strong warnings that he gives, as you have seen. I mean, it really is strong. It really is sobering. It's in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. And so it shows us, you know, that yes, we love the grace of God. Yes, we appreciate the grace of God. But there is still the possibility of people rejecting salvation in Jesus. And by doing that, they doom themselves for eternity. We can't lose our salvation. God is not going to take it away from us. 
but we can certainly reject it. And so that's what his warning was about. And so really what he says in all of that is, is that if you reject, he, now speaking to his audience, a Jewish audience living outside of Israel who were, uh, who practiced Judaism, who were under the law. And so he says to them that, you know, one thing you don't want to do is be amongst those who become apostates. One of those who rejects salvation in Jesus after having received it and after having experienced it and underst you know, underst understanding it, you don't want to reject salvation in Jesus. Specifically in their case, by going back to law. Now, for uh, the, that's one specific way we can reject salvation in Jesus, or someone can. Another way is, is by engaging in an intentional, sinful lifestyle. That's another way that eventually it will lead us to a place where we will, where the person will reject salvation in Jesus. And so uh, it's, and he also explained that it is impossible to receive salvation again if someone has rejected it. And we've covered all that. So rejecting salvation then is an irreversible decision, whether it's going back to law, as in their case and in their context, or, as we've seen in Peter, living in intentional sin. Because that eventually leads the heart to do the same thing. Right? Because someone who goes back to law is saying, I'd rather have animal sacrifices, you know, atone for my sin, instead of the sacrifice of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. I mean, that just sounds so, it sounds like blasphemy, doesn't it? And it is. And that's why that is rejecting salvation in Jesus. But you know, engaging in a sinful lifestyle intentionally, willfully, is the same thing. Because when you do that, what you're saying is, what He did to redeem me from sin, taking my sin upon Himself, dying for me and as me, you know, thank you for that, but, you know, I'm just going to take advantage of that and just go back into it anyway. In other words, what you did for me really doesn't mean anything. I just rather take, see it as, you know, a, a, free, a freedom and a license for me to continue doing this. It's the same thing. It's reject, it you know, leads to rejecting salvation in Jesus. And so he's just said all of that. Now he goes on in that context in verses 9 through 12. So let's read that portion again and then we'll study it bit by bit. So here it is. But beloved, notice, in other words, you are believers. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward His name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end that you may be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, as always, <clears throat> I know it's a little harder to understand from the King James, but you know that, I'll, and I say this every time, it's, to me it's one of the most, if not the most accurate word-by-word -word translation, and that's why we like, we like to stick to it, because one little word can change doctrine, and I've shown you and we, I've explained that, so we want to just stick with that, but then that's why we're going to study and explain it and look at other translations to get the most of what he's saying, but understanding context, what he's actually saying. 
All right, so he says quite a bit there, so let's begin taking a closer look at it. So let's have a look at the first part of verse 9 first, because I want to show you some things there. Remember, he, say, he started off and he said, so this is after just having said, you know, it is impossible for those who receive salvation to restore them again. So he says, but, in other words, there's an exception for you here. He says, but beloved, in other words, he's speaking to the believers there. He's speaking to those who have received salvation in Jesus. He says, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. Now, if you look at that, you'll see it says of you. That word of, as you know in the English language, it is a preposition, which is used to mean pertains to. So you could also read that this way. Let's put it back on. So you can also read that this way. We can say, we are persuaded better things pertaining to you. So he's not saying we expect better from you. He's saying we are persuaded that there are better things pertaining to you. Now, when you think about the context, that's why we don't want to lose the context. He's just said, those who reject salvation in Jesus, well, that's it. There's no way of restoring them back. He says, but beloved, in other words, I know you saved. I know you believers. He says, as far as you are concerned, he says, we, obviously the people that are with him as he writes this letter, he says, we are persuaded of better things pertain to you. In other words, God has something better for you. They chose to go back to law and reject salvation in Jesus. You haven't. So therefore, there are better things for you. Better things than the law, quite honestly. That's what he's saying in context. So, in other words, what he's also saying to them is, is that we don't believe that what I just said about rejecting salvation in Jesus applies to you. Now, you may say, well, then why did he say it? Well, he was speaking hypothetically. And, you know, oftentimes we do that. I mean, if I were to explain something to you, and I, I know for a fact, and I don't want to assume that, you know, you're guilty of that, I would say, for example, you know, those who engage in, uh, intentional, in an intentional sinful lifestyle eventually will end up rejecting salvation in Jesus, because that's what it does. Now, I'm, spe I'm speaking hypothetically, I'm not, I don't have anyone specific in mind, but I'm saying that to explain something to you. Well, that's exactly what he did when he said that. He wasn't saying, you are rejecting salvation in Jesus. But just in case anyone was considering it, considering going back to law, well, speaking, speaking hypothetically will help them understand, if you become that, then that applies to you. And so that's what he was doing there. And so really what he was saying is, and now he's saying, but beloved, you know, we are persuaded of better things pertaining to you. In other words, I'm not assuming that you rejected salvation in Jesus or that, you're about, that you are going to. In actual fact, he says, I don't believe that applies to you because there are better things for you. So he's encouraging them. And to remind us what he was talking about, let's have a look at here. It's going to come up now. Remember in Hebrews 6 verses 4, the first part of 4 and the first part of verse 6, which gives us the nutshell of what he was saying just prior to this. Look at this here. It's going to be on the screen. He said, for it is impossible for those, you see, he's, he's talking about hypothetically, those who were, and we've studied this, we looked at it, you could say it this way, who were informed and experienced salvation, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance. And in their case specifically, he was talking about falling away back 
to the law. Because by going back to the law, they're rejecting the real and they're going back to the type and shadow. And that, of course, is rejecting salvation in Jesus. And so when he says that, that we, uh, you know, we are persuaded of better things pertaining to you, that's what he's saying. Better things than rejecting salvation in Jesus, better things than going back to law is what he's saying. And so the reason why it doesn't apply to them is because they were not, or they had not rejected salvation in Jesus by going back to law. That's why they were reading his letter, they were listening to his letter, they sent him questions, and that's why he replied and he said what he said. So that's why he says, I'm persuaded of better things for you. Now let's read the rest of verse 9 and continue understanding what he says there. So here it is here. So remember, he said, But beloved, we are persuaded better things pertaining you. Remember, that's another way you can put that. And then he says, and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. In other words, even though I'm saying these harsh things, even though I've just said these harsh things about those who reject salvation in Jesus, he says, I don't think that applies to you. And in actual fact, I think, I think there, are, there are no, there are better things pertaining to you. And also things that accompany salvation. In other words, things that come with salvation. That's what he's saying. Another way you could put that is, is that he's saying you will have a better experience with grace than you had with law. Because remember in context, he just said those who go back to law reject salvation in Jesus. That's what they're doing. And it's impossible to restore them again because they're making that final decision. He says, but, you know, it's, they're going back to law. But for you, he says, there are better things. You are going to have a better experience with grace than you had with law. That's what he's saying in context. Now, the other thing, too, that he says here is, is that, remember, he said the things that accompany salvation. You know, sometimes when we, want, we need to go somewhere and we're not sure if it's, you know, what it's like, what the people are like, what the area is like, if it's safe, if it's not safe, especially if it's at night in the dark. We oftentimes try and get someone to go with us. Uh, I know that teenagers like to hang out in groups, you know, so they like to go somewhere, not on their own, but with someone. They like company. They like to be with someone. And so that's what he's saying here. He's saying, besides the better things, in other words, better than the law, in other words, grace, he says, besides that, also the things that accompany salvation are yours. Well, what accompanies salvation? And there's so much we can get into that. I mean, that alone could become a series of teaching but there's one verse that I believe just puts in a nutshell what he's referring to um, as a basis here so let's have a look at that at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in verse 30 we're going to read this one from the Amplified Classic talking about Jesus God and Jesus what is watch what it says but it is from him that's God that you have your life in Christ so God placed you in Christ, whom God made our wisdom, notice that, from God, revealed to us a knowledge of the divine plan of salvation previously hidden, manifested itself as, so in other words, God revealed to us the plan of salvation and how to be saved and receive salvation in Jesus and what it means in light of the old covenant shadows, types and shadows. He says that's how he became our wisdom. Then he says, revealed as, watch this, so he became this for us, our righteousness, 
thus making us right and putting us in right standing with God. That's what that means. And our consecration. In other words, making us pure and holy. That's what that means. And our redemption. That means providing our ransom for eter for, from eternal penalty for sin. Now let's leave that up there for a moment. Remember he said, and the things that accompany salvation. Well, these are the things that come with salvation. This is the company that comes with salvation. It is wisdom from God. In other words, us coming to the full realization of what it means to be saved in Jesus. And that it includes right standing with God. That's what righteousness is. So you have right standing with God in Jesus because of Jesus, not because of your merit, your performance, or your effort to be righteous, but because Jesus made you righteous. And then also, He made you holy before God. So He is your holiness. And then, of course, your redemption. He's the one that redeemed you. Amen. So having a look at that, you can see that those are the things that accompany salvation. And that's what he's saying. Not only are you going to have a better experience with grace than you did with law, but also he says the things that accompany salvation, meaning that you have right standing with God. The law couldn't do that for you. You are holy before God. The law couldn't do that for you. And you are redeemed. The law couldn't do that for you. It was all types and shadows of Jesus, but it could never be Jesus and do what He did for you. And so He again is just um, encouraging them and, and reminding them of the wonders and the wonderful things of the new covenant. And so He's saying to them, you know, that's what you have to look forward to. Besides the fact that grace is better than law, you also have the wonderful things that come with salvation. And you know, I often say this, if we could achieve righteousness before God, in and of ourselves, right standing before God, then we wouldn't need Jesus. If we could achieve holiness on our own, then we wouldn't need Jesus. If we could achieve redemption, if we could redeem ourselves before God, then we wouldn't need Jesus. And unfortunately, religion and legalistic teaching teaches that. It teaches somehow that you've got to be righteous, you've got to do right, and you've got to, and the more you are, the better you are to God. And then you've got to be holy, you've got to exercise holiness like a muscle, you've got to become more and more holy. You know, the whole impression of that is that basically they're saying Jesus was good enough to get you forgiven once and for all uh, and get you in the door, but now you stay inside and you are kept inside by your righteousness, your holiness. And you redeeming yourself. And that is not correct. That is, that is the furthest thing from uh, anything that Scripture teaches. Because this is clear here that our right standing, our holiness, and our redemption come and, from God in and through Jesus. Jesus makes us righteous. Jesus makes us holy. Jesus redeemed us before the Father. Amen. Anyway, so that's what accompanies salvation. Now, the law could never do that. You could never achieve righteousness, holiness, or redemption under the law. And that's why it is the better thing, the better things that accompany salvation. So he's really just affirming and reminding them of why they made the better choice of staying with salvation, staying in the grace of God, 
and not going back to law and rejecting salvation in Jesus. Amen. Because at the end of the day, those who reject salvation in Jesus, specifically by going back to law, well, they are not going to, they're going to forfeit those wonderful things that accompany salvation besides salvation itself. What a tragic situation. You know, it baffles my mind, but then when I look at society, it's not that hard to actually see it happening. How often times do people do things out of peer pressure? How often do people do things because that's the way their generations have done it? You know, my grand, great-granddaddy did it this way. His dad did it that way. His dad did it that way. My dad did it that way. And so therefore, you know, I'm going to do it that way. It's amazing how religion, and you know, if you look up the word religion in the original language, it's the word ligari. And what it actually means is to be put in bondage. And so it ties you to something. And so that's what religion is, is it ties you to tradition. It ties you to, it ties you to a legalistic teaching, to erroneous teaching. And that's why sometimes people have a hard time letting go. And it's actually so sad here because here he's saying, and obviously he had heard of some, he probably had seen some, reject salvation in Jesus and go back to law out of peer pressure, out of the persecution that they were facing. And so he's encouraging them and he's letting them know they're not going to experience these things. You have something better, a better experience with grace than with law. And then also you have the things that accompany salvation. You know, so he's really just reminding them of those things and encouraging them. Now, the New Living Translation helps us understand verse 9 a little clearer. But before we do that, let me again remind you of what the premise of what he's saying is. In other words, the context of what he said, the basis of why he's making these statements in verse 9. So let me just show you that again. Remember he said in verse uh, 4 and 6, it is, for it is impossible for those who were informed and experienced salvation, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance. So remember, that's the statement that he made and what he is basing, what he's saying in verse 9 onwards. Now, I've heard some teachers say, this is not talking to believers because in verse 9 he says, but you, beloved. Well, remember here he's speaking hypothetically. But besides that, why would he say, if they were informed and received salvation and then fall away. Okay, if you were never a believer, why, do you, why are you falling away from salvation? It doesn't make sense. You can see he's hypothetically painting a picture and saying, you know, he probably had known and heard of some people who did that. And so he's using that to explain to them, if you do that, then the consequence will be the same. What sort of how the New Living puts it. Dear friends, even though... We are talking this way. And that's what we just read about impossible to restore them again. Even though we are talking this way, watch what he says here. We really don't believe it applies to you. Why? Because they're listening to him. They're reading his letter. Obviously, he's writing to those who needed encouragement and had questions. He says, we really don't believe it applies to you. We are confident that you are meant for better things. He's talking about grace. Things that come with salvation. He's basically saying, I know, we know, that you have not rejected salvation in Jesus by going back to law. Why? Because they're reading his letter. They're listening to him. So obviously they haven't done that. 
And in verse 10, he explains to us how they knew. So watch us as we continue with our study here. He says, for, in other words, because. So you could say, this is how he knows that they have not rejected salvation in Jesus, that it doesn't apply to them, and that there are actually better things, such, uh, like you know, grace to, in comparison to law, and the things that accompany salvation. This is how he knows. He says, for God is not unrighteous to forget, watch us, your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name. Talking about God. In that you minister to the saints and do minister. Now right there, he shows us how he as the writer and those with him, how they know that the folks that are reading his letter, the folks that they've written to, how they know that they have not rejected salvation in Jesus. So he's making them aware, he's warning them, but he's saying, I know that you haven't done that. And he says, this is how I know. You work for God and you labor to love God. And how we know that you do that is because you are ministering, serving other believers among you in the church. And you know, this is a powerful, powerful truth right here. Because he actually reveals to us and shows us. Uh, he gives us the litmus test, if you will, for us. So if ever you're wondering if someone may have rejected salvation in Jesus, whether it's going back to legalist, legalism or living a sinful lifestyle, if you want to know if someone has rejected salvation in Jesus, here he gives us how we can tell and how we can know. Number one, he says, they'll be working for God. In other words, they're going to be serving God and they'll have a heart for doing things for God. Secondly, he says, they will labor to love God, but also love His people. And he says, the way that they express the work for God and the, and the love for God is by serving other believers, by helping other believers, by assisting other believers. In other words, by ministering to them and helping them grow in the gospel, the gospel truth and the things of God. So if ever you want to know if someone has not rejected salvation in Jesus, they'll be involved in the work of, God, of the gospel, but also you will see their love for God is clear and evident. And because they love God and they love serving God, they'll be expressing that by blessing, being a blessing to other believers, to the church. Regardless, uh, I mean, you know, irrespective of how they do it, that's what they'll be doing. In whatever means they have, whatever ways they can, they will be there encouraging, ministering to, serving, being a blessing to other believers, as well as the unsaved. But in this case specifically, he's talking about other believers. In other words, encouraging them in the faith, encouraging them to understand the difference between law and grace, encouraging them not to reject salvation in Jesus through a sinful lifestyle, through legalism. In other words, they'll be engaged in that process. But it is because, first and foremost, they love God and they love working for God. Right? So another way you can put what he said in that verse is this way. How we know that you have not rejected salvation in Jesus 
because your love for God and your work for God is evident as you minister to those around you. That's basically what he's saying. And that's how he says he knew that they had not rejected salvation in Jesus. Watch this, let's read that same verse from the New Living Translation. It's going to help us understand it a little clearer. He says, For God is not unjust. He will not forget, watch this, how hard you have worked for Him and how you have shown your love to Him. And here's how they expressed it and did that. By caring for other believers as you still do. In other words, you, just, you didn't just do it one time. You didn't just do it you know, here and there. You did it con consistently and you are still doing it consistently. Now remember the context here is in relation to living in gospel truth. Living in salvation in Jesus and the finished work of the cross. God takes notice. He sees your heart that you have for Him, that you love Him, and that you work so hard for Him. And He says, and the, and the way we know that is because you express that love for God, you, your love for God, you express your work for God by being a blessing to those around you, by helping them, by encouraging them, by doing all you can to make sure that they live in the same freedom, the same gospel truth. And so that's a blessing to know. And you know, sometimes we can get hit hard with times. Uh, for example, supporting the work of the gospel, being engaged and serving, just calling someone, being an encouragement to someone, visiting someone in hospital, wherever they may be, or just sending them an encouraging text or a message, a comment, whatever it may be. In the ways that we engage in caring for others around us in the church, and doing our part here and there to help them stay in the faith, living in gospel truth, living in Jesus and the finished work of the cross, keeping the fire going so that they don't fall away into legalism, into sinful lifestyle. Anything we do to help others, he says, that's how we know that you love God and that you work for God. So in other words, someone who doesn't really spend, you know, love God and show that he loves God or she loves God and doesn't really care for other people. They're very focused on self and, you know, me, myself and I, and I need help. I need maintenance and all that. Well, maybe they do love God, but ultimately he says, yeah, the way you express all that is by being a blessing to those around you. Praise God for that. Amen. So that's one way we can know, but also at the same time, that's one way you and I can prevent ourselves from falling prey to the temptation of falling into legalism, to the temptation of falling into sin. Let's keep on loving God, keep connected to God, and let's work for God. Let's do all we do ultimately to benefit those around us. Let's make it so that those around us can hear the gospel truth, can be blessed by the gospel truth, can continue living in the truth of the new covenant and what it means to be redeemed in Jesus. Amen. That's what he's saying there. So, how was their love and work for God evident then? By their love and care for other believers. Right? So this is how he says he knows. He says, remember he said, I've just said that, you know, it's impossible for those who reject salvation in Jesus to ever receive salvation in Jesus again. 
He says, but beloved, I don't think that's for you. I know that that's not for you. He says, I'm convinced there's better things for you. Grace is better for you than law. And he says, you have the things that accompany salvation. And how I know that you haven't rejected salvation in Jesus is by the fact that I can see how you love God. I can see how you want to do anything possible for God and to expand the kingdom of God. And I see how you do that by blessing those around you. In other words, you don't do it because they deserve it. You don't do it because they treat you well, even when they mistreat you. Because you love God and you love working for God, you do it regardless to be a blessing to them. And let me tell you something. The pastoral ministry is one of those areas. People are not always nice to you. People judge you. They misjudge your motives. Oftentimes they assign motive to what you say, to what you do. You know, based on their mindset and what they're thinking. They do that to you. And I've had people say to me, and I don't think I've, uh, <laughs> I'm per, I'm by far, I, I, I want to grow more, I want to be more. But you know, I've had people say, you know, in the midst of everything you've gone through, and how people have, and believe me, I've been treated bad by the best of them, if you will. Uh, we all have. We've all experienced something. And yet people say, well, how can you keep preaching this gospel? How can you stay fast to this? Why don't you compromise a little? It'll open some doors for you. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Give in to that. Why do you keep loving people, even though sometimes they mistreat you, they're bad to you? Why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep reaching out and all that? Well, because you know what? I love God. I love working for God. And the only way I can express that is by loving other people, loving you. And so, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. And that's what I'll continue doing. And, and I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want anyone to get upset here. But I'm not doing it for you, first and foremost. I'm doing it because I love God and I love working for God. And it should be the same for you. And I know that it is. And that's what he's saying Yeah, He's saying, that's how I know that you have not rejected salvation in Jesus. Because you love God, you love working for God, and it's clear to see because you do it for His people. Amen. Pretty powerful stuff there. And so what He's saying in essence too, this is that He recognized their love and care for other believers as the fruit of their salvation. In other words, the fact that you work and minister to others, bless those around you, do things for them, express your work for God, you know, to them. He says, that's the fruit of salvation. That's how I know. And, you know, just to make sure we don't veer off onto the wrong thing here, the wrong doctrine, let's remind ourselves that works don't save, but works are evidence of salvation. Isn't that true? Works don't save us. We're not saved by works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it tells us we're not saved by works. But works are evidence of salvation. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying your love and your works are the evidence that you are saved, that you haven't rejected salvation in Jesus. And that's why we're encouraged to be involved. We're encouraged to support the work of the gospel, be a part of the gospel, love one another. Don't wait for the pastor to phone everyone and reach out to everyone. You do that. You know people in the church. You know the family. Reach out to them. Love them. Just encourage them. That's how we get engaged in these things. Why? Because we love God. We love working for God. Amen. And uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 from the Passion actually kind of helps us understand that point a little as well. Because here, writing to a different group of people, the same truth is expressed. Watch what it says here. For we remember before our God and Father how you put your faith, watch this, into practice. 
how your love motivates you to serve others and how unrelenting is your hope-filled patience in our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that real carefully. He says, we know how you put your faith into practice. In other words, your faith has works. Not because you're trying to be saved by those works, but because it's the expression of your salvation. But it says you put your faith to practice and how your love, talking about the love for God, motivates you to serve others. You see, someone who loves God will, have, will feel compelled to serve others. Someone who loves God will work for God. And that work will be expressed in the kingdom of God, in the things of God blessing others ultimately amen i mean whether it's setting up church whether it's you know helping with the technology whether it's supporting financially whether it's just reaching out to someone all those different things in different ways is how we express our love and our heart for god amen our work for god that's in essence what he's saying there so our love for god is revealed in our work for god or a level work that benefits those around us. Amen. I mean, it reminds me of Jesus and Peter, the conversation they had. You know this well. We know this well. Remember when Peter was, you know, making all kinds of commitments to the Lord and trying to be the hero, if you will, and Jesus just kept on fine-tuning his heart and helping him understand what he was really saying and what would be the expectation from him isn't that so and so when you think about you know our love for God is revealed in our work for God and to tie in with what the writer of Hebrews is saying about the fact that he says I know that you haven't rejected salvation in Jesus because I see how you love God I see how you work for God and you express that love and that labor by blessing others that's exactly what Jesus said to Peter in John 21, verses 15 to 17. Watch this from the New Living Translation. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Can you see the same principle there? What Jesus is saying is, if you love me, or in the context of Hebrews, we can put it this way, if you are really saved, if you really receive salvation in Jesus, then you love me, then you will feed my lamb. In other words, you will work for me by blessing those around you. So what Jesus was saying to Peter here is that your love will be evidenced by you being a blessing to those around you, by making sure that those in the church receive the, the nurture that they need as you do. Then he says in verse 16, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord Peter replied, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. See there, there's the same principle again. If you love me, you'll work for me. And you'll express that love and work by being a blessing to those around you. This isn't just for the pastors, for those in ministry. This is for all of us, all of us as believers. That's how we keep ourselves involved in the things of God and avoid things that will 
pull us away from the things of God. Then in verse 17 he says, A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. So there you have three different times where Jesus says, Peter, if you love me, then you'll be a blessing to those around you, those of my household. He says, and you'll do things for them because feeding the sheep, taking care of the sheep involves work. So you will work for me. So you see the same principle here that the writer of Hebrews is conveying. And he's saying, I know that you haven't rejected salvation in Jesus, whether it's law or sinful lifestyle, because I can see you love God and I can see you work for God and you express that by being a blessing to those around you. Pretty powerful stuff. Amen. So someone saved loves God. Isn't that so? And someone who loves God serves God. And someone who serves God serves and loves His people. That's in essence what we see there. And so love and service for God are evidence of salvation. That's really the point that he's making there. And the way to love and serve others, regardless of how they may treat you, is by loving God and expressing your service unto Him. Isn't that so? And I mean, I can only speak from my own experience. I mean, I'd love to hear your story so I can share those, but I can only speak from my own experience. Like I said earlier, there have been times, even here in our church, New Creation Church, where people have been mean to me. They've said mean things about me. They've accused me of ugly, mean things. And you know, if I was a carnal person, if I was moved by my carnality, ultimately, if I didn't really love God, and I believe I'm getting to love Him more and more every day, but if I didn't love, have a love for God, and if I didn't have that passion in me for the appreciation of the gospel, you know, I would just switch everything off and just like, why bother, you know? So <laughs> let everyone else become a victim because of what one person said. We can't do that. And you know what compels me and drives me? Even if everyone who's engaged decides to reject me, say mean things about me, and just turn on me, I will continue doing what God has called me to do. And unless He releases me or gives me another assignment, I will continue doing what He tells me. Why? Because I love God. I'm doing this because I love God. I'm doing this because I want to work for God because I love God. And, you know, I love you too. I work for you. But my main motivation is because I love God and I work for God. Now, it's not me bragging on me or anything. Like I said, I can only share my own stories. But I'm saying all that because I know that that's your heart. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. He's not only speaking from his own conviction, his own experience, but he's saying, I see that about you. I recognize that about you. And I think about you, wonderful church family and you know, extended family online. I see that. I see that you love God. That's why you're here. I see that you want to work for God. That's why you're here. That's why you support the work of the gospel, because you are here. Amen. And so that's what he's saying. So now let's continue with our portion in that same context. Now remember, the context is, he just said, God doesn't forget your love and work for Him as you minister to others, in verse 10, right? So now he continues in verse 11 and 12. He says, And we desire that every one of you 
do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. In other words, I want all, every single one of you to keep doing that same thing. Love God, work for God, show it by doing it for those around you. He says, be diligent about it to the end, that you be not slothful, <laughs> but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Pretty powerful stuff. Let's read that same portion from the Passion Translation. It's going to help us understand it clearer. Watch this. He says, But we long to see you passionately advance until the end. In other words, until we graduate into heaven, we enter heaven. And you find your hope fulfilled. In other words, the fullness of salvation in Jesus. So, don't allow your hearts to grow dull or lose your enthusiasm. In other words, in your love for God and your work for God. But follow the example of those who fully received what God has promised. He's talking about the Old Testament people. Even though they didn't have what you have as, as far as salvation in Jesus goes, when they died eventually and entered heaven, they got the fullness of it. That's what he's saying. But they kept believing here on earth. That's what he's saying. Because of their strong faith and patient endurance. So you can see that this is a call for them to endure patiently, to patiently endure in the faith and stick it out. That's what he's saying. So what he's saying is just keep at it. Don't grow weary or disheartened. He says, regardless of persecution, of hardship, of whatever you face, don't let it deter you. Stay on course. Stay loving, serving God, and don't let anything get you from that. That's what he's saying. And he says, follow the example of those, those of old who patiently endured and ultimately receive the fullness of the promise because you will surely receive when you shed this body you will surely receive the fullness of the promise too is what he's saying so you can see in all of this he hypothetically spoke about the warning and really it's a warning he says you know if someone goes back to law they're going to reject salvation in jesus and as i've shown you uh, where peter said you know if someone engages in an intentional lifestyle eventually it's going to lead them to that too he says, but you are not like that. And I know that you're not like that because I see your love. I see your work. I see your commitment for God. And just keep at it. Be faithful. Keep trusting God. Stay on course with Jesus. Redemption in Jesus and the finished work of the cross. Because you will see ultimately that your trust and confidence in that, in Jesus and the finished work of redemption, was not in vain. That's in essence what he's saying right there. Amen. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.